Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, parliament is uh, in a fixed, uh, five-year fixed-term parliament. There's nothing happening. As the Australians say, the wheel's still going round, but the hamster's dead. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so it's great to come and talk to you and spend 15 minutes uh, talking about my second book. This is about my first book. This is my mother, Lily, uh, in the back uh, garden, garden, yard of uh, our house in Southam Street in London, West 10. My first book, This Boy, was very much about Lily's life. Her mother had died when she was 42. Her grandmother had died when she was 42. Lily had something called mitral stenosis, which still requires open-heart surgery, but then was an absolute killer. And so she spent much of her time in hospital uh, and then became the guinea pig for a, a, a major operation at Hammersmith Hospital to, to solve the problem by putting in plastic valves, which is now very common, uh, uh, but she didn't survive the operation. So my sister and I, my father ran off with the barmaid from the lads of the village pub uh, when I was eight. So Lily's life was very difficult. This boy describes it. My sister Linda, I don't know if we're going to come on to, an, oh yes, now I'm sorry about this. This is, uh, this is Linda winning the Guardian Most Politically Incorrect. <laughs> Photograph Award. This is 1953 coronation, by the way, and uh, uh, Linda decided to go like that. She's regretted it ever since. <laughs> since something in Southam Street we used to call the debris, and the debris was a bomb site. And I spent years thinking the debris was a place in Notting Hill, not realizing the word debris was used for many of these bomb sites, but they cleared it for the coronation. And that's me uh, standing alongside uh, Linda. Uh, we get a, if we go on a bit, oh, that's us at uh, New Brighton Beach. We'll go on a bit further. Oh, that's me. I'm sorry about that. It's a bad hair day. That's me again. Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> when, after my mother died, me and my sister feared that we'd be separated. She was 16, I was 13. Thanks to this great social worker called Mr. Pepper. It sounds like happy families, Miss, Mrs. Salt and Mr. Pepper. Mr. Pepper came into our lives and managed to get us a flat together in, um, on the uh, Wordsworth uh, 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 estate, sorry, the Wilberforce estate in Battersea, which meant we had to go south of the Thames, which was traumatic, but apart from that, we, we were okay. So we were in this flat together. You couldn't actually uh, have a, a council flat until you were 21, so how Mr. Pepper did it, I don't know. Well, I do know, because I describe it in the book, but we, so we managed to stay together. Then the book ends, uh, Linda got married to her sweetheart Mike, uh, who was a fabulous man, hero to me, and um, they moved to Watford and she said, we're moving to Watford, we've got a semi-detached with three bedrooms, want you to come with me? I said, I'm not moving to the northern countryside, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so I went back to Notting Hill, lived in various, like Lancaster Road, uh, uh, I'd also lived in Warmer Road, and my rock music career with two bands called The Area and The Inbetweens uh, fell victim to this crime wave that was following me around. And when my Hofner Very Thin got nicked, my fabulous guitar, uh, when I was with The Inbetweens, I decided that that's it, I better go and get a proper job. The bass guitarist in The Inbetweens was a postman, Sham, he was a West Indian postman. And he said, join the post office, the money's rubbish, but you, because of that, they can never attract any staff. You can do all the overtime you want to do, 
and you know you can earn as much as you want to do if you want to do the hours. So I joined as an 18-year-old. This is me at the, uh, and I joined in Barnes, London Southwest 13, which was brilliant. My first delivery I delivered to Lynn Redgrave, Timothy West. I mean, everyone lived in this, in this here. Sam Kidd, Pearl Carr, and Teddy Johnson. Oh, no one. All right, no one remembers them. Uh, and that's Brian Green, who was a, the, another young postman, and these are Christmas casuals. Uh, Incidentally, can I just say something to you? If anyone says to me afterwards, oh, I was a postman or I was a postwoman, and it means you were a Christmas casual. You weren't a postman or a postwoman. <laughs> you know, come on, get real about this. I tell the story in the book about a casual I had. So we used to stay in the office. The mail was, you know, sort of 10 times its normal volume. And we used to prep the mail for the casuals, and the casuals used to take it out and deliver it. And you should tie the mail in bundles and do them in a slip knot and number the bundles. And I had a, so my delivery was split between three casuals and I had a third each. And this bright young girl, I did about 10 bundles, numbered one to 10, which should have taken her about two hours. She was back in about 20 minutes. She'd gone to the first house, saw the address on the front and put the whole bundle through. <laughs> and then walked past about four streets, not wondering why they didn't get any mail till she got to the next one. She is probably a permanent secretary in Whitehall now, or maybe a, maybe a brain surgeon. Uh, so this was Christmas 1968, and I had married Judy, my first wife, that's our wedding, uh, and uh, Linda, who's there on Judy's left, she castigated me, she said, she castigated me when I left school at 15. She castigated me when I wouldn't move with her to Watford. She castigated me because she said, you're getting married and you're only 18. I said, but you were only 19. In a smart-ass way, I said, but you were just 19. I said, and you left school at 15 anyway. And then she castigated me because Judy was four years older than me. I said, well, your husband's four years older than you. But down here is Natalie. So Judy was a single mother and she'd been engaged to this Italian guy. Uh, and he had, uh, as soon as she was pregnant, he went back to Italy, never heard from him again, and so Natalie became my daughter. And next to Linda is, sorry, you go back one, is Judy's grandmother. Now, Judy's, Judy was, uh, her mother died when she was a year old in childbirth with what would have been her sister. Her father was another reckless, uh, feckless uh, Notting Hill uh, gadabout. He went off with his lady friend straight away. Her two brothers were put into Dr. Bernardo's, but Judy was brought up by her grandmother and brought up very well. Judy went to Burlington Grammar School for Girls. She did well. She went to teacher training college, then transferred to being a nursery nurse. And when she rolled up with me, this oik of a shelf stacker at Anthony Jackson's supermarket in the Lower Richmond Road, Nan was not very pleased about this. We moved back. They lived, lived in Camelford Road, which used to join St. Mark's Road to Labrook Grove. And we lived there. Nan was, uh, I mean, she was very good to Judy and very good to Natalie. And, you know, she tolerated me. It was good of her to take me in. But because we lived there and because... That, once again, was being pulled down for the A40 Westway extension, which there's a lot of photographs in here in the tabernacle about you know, the, the damage that did to London. They had to offer us a council house. We'd only been on the council list for a year, but they, and my mother spent her whole life waiting for a council house. Uh, she got an offer two weeks after she died. Here was I, 18 years of age, with the offer of a council house. Got one offer because we'd only been on the housing list for a year, take it or leave it. 
And um, so it was on the Britwell Estate in Slough. And by now I'd got over my aversion to moving to the countryside. Uh, I went 30 miles up and we went to Slough and got out the Slough Station, me and Judy, to go and look at this place. And there were two coppers, Thames Valley Police, with their Ford Anglia police car, light blue, uh, leaning up against it. And I said, uh, excuse me, do you know where the Britwell Estate is? He said, I should do. We have to go there often enough. <laughs> so the other one said to Judy, why are you going there? So she said, oh, we've had the offer of a council house. She said, I wouldn't live on a Britwell for all the tea in China. So that was our introduction. And in actual fact, the Britwell Estate was wonderful. Uh, they moved lots of people from West London you know, a typical new town estate, uh, LCC estate, uh, back garden, front garden, indoor toilet, indoor bathroom. I mean, for Judy and I, it was a palace. And that's us there with Natalie. Uh, Emma was born actually the day after that photograph of me in the post office canteen. That was uh, the day before Christmas Eve. Emma was born the day after that. So when we moved, and that was one of the, this is my hunky-dory phase. Uh, if you see the cover of David Bowie, never mind. Uh, <laughs> And uh, that's the back garden uh, of our house on uh, the Britwell Estate. So uh, not long after, my son Jamie arrived. I think he might be the next photo. Oh, no, that's Emma and, uh, that Emma and Natalie on the day we moved on an old sofa that we bought from the Portobello Road. And then I think we've got... Oh, that's many years later. Go on one... No, the baby one. Oh, God, now. Here's Judy and Linda... Uh, with Linda's youngest daughter and Emma, and you see the smoking and all that. That's uh, the, the half of the course. That was at a wedding that they were at. Now, the next one, I think, is... No, that's the sorting office. Let's go one more. No, one more. That's Jamie. So, <laughs> so when I was 20, uh, Jamie arrived. So I had three kids working for the post office, working for the GPO, Uniformed Civil Servant, General Post Office. Uh, and there was a seven-week strike, uh, all-out strike, uh, about pay, but also about these things called incremental scales, where your pay went up, depending on your age, for about 25 years. You got to maximum pay just before you retired. And we had this big dispute, uh, and um, it was paternity leave, courtesy of the Union of Post Office Workers. But when I went to the to the place where the social security were, you could claim money for your dependents then if you were on strike. So there was a long, long queue of people. I got to the front and this woman said to me, it was very fresh face, she said, no, Sonny, you can only claim for your dependents. And I said, yeah, I've got a wife and three children. I had to produce all the evidence. I was very fresh faced. In fact, Christmas 1969, Judy bought me as a present. She bought me the Incredible String Band album uh, and she also bought me a Gillette razor. And uh, I rushed upstairs to use it and came downstairs saying, oh, that was very good, very manly. Sort of. She said, did you put the blade in? <laughs> and I said, there was already a blade in there. She said, no, it was a cardboard dummy one. <laughs> no word of a lie. So um, anyway, when they totted up what I should get, uh, I was earning from the post office 12 pounds. We just went decimal, decimalization just came in that, uh, that uh, it, February 1971. I was earning 12 pounds, 10 shillings uh, for a 48 hour, with a po 48 hour week with the post office. And they paid me 12, uh, 12 pounds and 11 shillings. So no wonder I got a reputation as a militant. Well, it's going back, no, stay out. Um, <laughs> but you know, you didn't get overtime and all that. 
So, Please, Mr. Postman, tell us the incredible story of some of these people I worked beside. I mean, when I worked in Barnes, that photograph you saw of a group of men there. No, not that one. I think it's one foot. That's it. That's the night shift, Barnes in 1968. Um, and the people I worked beside, Billy Fairs uh, fought at Monte Casino. Uh, Peter Simonelli was at uh, Normandy. There's a guy who's not there. This is just the night shift. Uh, a guy called Nobby Clark, everyone called Clark was called Nobby for some reason, I don't know why, and he used to sing Al Bowley songs whilst clutching a pipe between his teeth. I don't know how he managed to do that, but he got on any, everyone's nerves by singing. His, he was always constantly cheerful. He spent four years as a Japanese prisoner of war. So I very soon realised these 30 guys I worked beside, practically all of them, had either been in the Second World War, that generation was just coming into their 40s, or had done national service. So it's quite militaristic. You didn't come to work, you came on duty. You didn't go on holiday, you went on annual leave. And their stories, they'd seen terrible, perilous times. They'd seen terrible things and come very close to death themselves. And they came back and never talked about it, never boasted about anything. They just talked to each other. They'd sit in the canteen, depending on what regiment they'd been in. But they were an incredible bunch of people, and I try and capture that. And then eventually, um, after I transferred uh, to Slough uh, as a postman, uh, I had that long seven-week strike, got me very interested in the union, very interested in getting rid of, rid of these bloody incremental scales. And eventually I became the branch chairman of the Slough Amalgamated Branch of the Union of Post Office Workers. And a whole world of educational opportunities opened up to me. The untold story of social mobility in this country is what trade unions did, miners' libraries, workers' educational association. And, and suddenly I could take a correspondence course in any subject under the sun, free of charge, courtesy of the, of the TUC. And the final point uh, I want to make, point I'll end on, is in Slough sorting office, that was Barnes, when I went to Slough, lots of Asian Pakistani guys uh, who had come over with qualifications as all kinds of things, university lecturers, teachers, some doctors, had to get some training to supplement it and then get the qualifications so they could practice in this country. So came into the post office as a stopgap and many of them stayed there. And I worked beside this incredible bunch of people. And there was one of them who had studied Thomas Hardy uh, as part of his English literature degree in India. And he got me reading uh, it gave me Return of the Native and started a lifelong passion uh, for Hardy. There was a guy called Jock Hasty who quoted whole chunks of Shakespeare. Des O'Callaghan introduced me to Philip Larkin and W.H. Auden. And, you know, I've said somewhere that they were the most cultured bunch I've ever worked with. Uh, given where I work now, you can draw your own uh, conclusions <laughs> from that. But, you know, so I might have left school at 15, but I stayed... Uh, being educated thanks to the people I work beside in the post office. Thank you.